So if you have your Bibles open with me to the book of Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start on a Christmas series and I'm going to preach. And uh, every, every year it comes when Christmas comes around, I really get excited to preach through the Christmas story because the Christmas story is absolutely saturated with joy. It's saturated with joy. Joy's just all over it. I mean, even though you know that the, uh, there's, there, there, was a, there was a massacre of young boys by Herod, even though Jesus will eventually be crucified and have to die and go through his passion, he'll be rejected. I mean, there's all of that ahead, but yet the angels knew what was coming down. The angels knew that salvation had come to earth. Amen? And it was just joy on top of joy. The shepherds received the joy. The magi received the joy. Mary, Elizabeth, you look through Luke's stories. Holy Ghost comes on Zacharias. Holy Ghost comes on Elizabeth. Spirit of the Lord overshadows Mary. Spirit of the Lord comes upon Simeon. Spirit of the Lord is upon Anna. I mean, boom, it's a Holy Ghost story. Chris, that's why you should celebrate Christmas. You should celebrate Christmas. Why? Because you're celebrating not just a commercial holiday, you're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. You're celebrating the greatest story on earth. God came down to earth. Hallelujah. That's why I'm, I've always preached this, and, and I still believe it. Turn on the Christmas music, get the lights going, get the kids involved, cook the turkey. Do all that. Get out and drink hot chocolate and whatever you got to do. I mean, come on, enjoy it all because we're celebrating the Lord, celebrating His birth. And also there's power in, in the right rituals. There's a power in right ritual. And Christmas becomes that for us. And it also becomes one of those times where the Lord commanded the children of Israel, one of those rest periods. Rest, get with your family. The Lord commanded it every Sabbath day, every seventh Sabbath year, Three times a year during the major festivals, rest, get with family, get with friends, and take a pause in life and reflect on the goodness of God. All of that is about Christmas. Amen? So we've never really done a Christmas Eve service like we're going to, but I'm looking forward to it because we can all come in here just for a period of time on Christmas Eve night, celebrate, give the Lord praise, receive communion, then go celebrate with our families. going to be awesome. Amen? So Luke chapter 2 tells us a story of a woman. So I want to preach, I want to do something I've never done. I want to preach on the women of Christmas. <laughs> we were going to call it POV, point of view, women of Christmas, but we dropped off the POV. Women of Christmas. So there are three women in this story in Luke's gospel that I want to talk about. One is Mary, of course. Number two is Elizabeth. And number three is Anna, the prophetess. So I'm going to take these in reverse order. We're going to start with Anna and work our way back to Mary. Amen? So let's read the story of Anna. Luke 2, verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel or redemption in Jerusalem. Now, there's a, so here's the story. Anna is a widow who goes to the temple consistently day and night 
and prays and combines her prayers with fasting, and she is just a fixture, so to speak, of the Temple Mount. She's there praying, seeking the Lord. And obviously her reputation has gone before her. This is why Luke is including her, I believe, because she had such a holy reputation, just as Simeon did the high priest. She had a holy reputation. Now what's interesting is the way the Bible reads here, it says she was a widow of about 84 years. Most English translations give you the idea that she was 84 years of age. But um, there's, there's an ambiguity in the Greek here, and some Greek scholars prefer she was a widow for 84 years. And some believe that she was probably about 105 years old. But had spent 84 years praying, fasting, seeking the Lord. Amen? So it just adds to the, the, the reputation, the weightiness of who Anna was. And so I just want to look down and take, take, look at her as a character study and let it speak to us. Who was Anna? First of all, she was a prophetess. She was a prophet or a prophetess. A prophet is one who speaks for God, who can foretell and foretell. Foretelling is just calling things out they see in the spirit. Foretelling is calling things that they see in the future. Some don't believe prophetic can be foretelling, but I definitely do. Why the prophets see what's coming. God does nothing unless he shows it to his servant, the prophets. So the prophetic ministry is a real deal. She was a prophetess. She was known as that. And guess what, guys? She was a lady. So some believe women can't preach, but yet those same people believe that prophetic ministry is just inspired preaching. So we come to the book of Corinthians where Paul gave guidelines for prophetic women. So if prophetic is inspired preaching, then why are there guidelines given for women who prophesy in the church? Because women can preach. And women can prophesy. And women can move. In the, here's an example of a prophetic woman who could speak as an oracle of God as God gave the word. Hallelujah! So let me just take an, a, an exit right now and deal with prophetic ministry just a little bit because I think this is a good, this is why we do stories and we preach stories like this. It gives us so many cool launching pads to, to, to talk about truth from. First of all, I think in the New Testament there are five different channels of prophetic ministry. Number one, there's just the office of prophet that we read about in Ephesians chapter 4 where God gave some to be apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And those gifts are still in the body. They didn't fade away. They didn't pass away with the early apostles. Because those gifts were to be, Paul said, here until we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. That's, I don't believe we'll see that until this whole consummation of things. And so we're going to have prophetic ministry. We're going to have apostles, pastors, teachers, and evangelists in the body until Jesus comes. We need these ministries now because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to have that knowledge will pass away and prophecy will pass away when the perfect comes. 
And who is the perfect? Some say, well, that's the New Testament. No, perfect is the Lord Himself coming. I think it's the Lord Himself coming. When He comes, we won't need prophetic ministry. We're going to have Jesus with us. I believe in a messianic kingdom coming. We'll, we'll be with Him. So right now, we need the prophets. We need prophetic ministry. We need people to hear from the Lord. We need, and we pay a lot of attention to prophetic people. Now, so okay, there's an office of prophet. Then there's what we would call prophetic preaching. 1 Peter chapter 4, Paul, or Peter said, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So if someone preaches, you know, sometimes we just preach and teach from knowledge. Other times it gets into revelation. Other times it gets into the prophetic, where God starts calling out prophetic things and starts, uh, there's an, a prophetic anointing that can come on the preaching of the word. And in number, th- number three, there's a prophetic presbytery. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul told Timothy, he said, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So what he's describing here is some sort of eldership meeting where Timothy, as a young man, came forward and there was an anointing, a laying on of hands, and a commissioning of him, and prophetic utterances that were given. And then Paul told him, don't forget that. Because there was an impartation or a deposit made to you in that prophetic presbytery. I've been in meetings like that. I can't say we've technically had anything like that in our church, but it's about time. Get the prophetic elders and let them prophesy into people's lives. Amen? Then there's a fourth prophetic channel, and that's just simply the gift of prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes nine gifts of the Spirit that are what we call manifestation gifts, that anyone can move in as the Spirit wills. And so any of you born-again believers can move in the Spirit of prophecy as the Spirit determines necessary for the moment. I don't consider myself a prophet, but I have moved in prophecy for decades. If the Lord comes on me, I have a prophetic word. I've shared it with many different people. And I'm telling you, something happens when prophetic words are shared. Something, you get into the realm of the Spirit, and it goes beyond the intellect. It goes beyond the natural. And God starts ministering to you on the level of the Spirit. And that's how God really communicates, through the level of the Spirit. And then finally, there's what we would call the Spirit of Prophecy. For Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 says, The testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of Prophecy. So there's sometimes, there's just a prophetic anointing that falls. Or is is with a group of people. Like, Like in the book of Numbers, when the Spirit that was on Moses got on the 70 elders, and they went out and started prophesying, like Moses did. And you remember some got mad because they're like, hey, Moses, they're out prophesying like you. Moses said, my word, I wish all God's people would prophesy. Don't be jealous for me. Then you see in the life of Saul, even though Saul, who was a very carnal king in a lot of ways, moved by his anger and emotions, he got around the school of prophets, got caught up with them, and he started prophesying with them. Like the spirit of prophecy got off on him. So prophecy in the New Testament is a real deal. It's a real deal. We fully believe in prophetic ministry in this church. That's one of the reasons we wanted the Hammonds to come during the Breaking Bears conference. Crack that open in our church. 
crack that, let that anointing come and that impartation happen and let that flow in our church. Hallelujah. Sometimes we have to war with the prophetic because when you receive a prophetic word, you should first of all record it somehow, get it on a voice note on your phone, go back and watch the live stream if it was live, have somebody write it down or you write down what you could remember of it, write it down and record it and then meditate and pray on it and then war with it. What do I mean? Sometimes when you, you have a prophetic word and you have it recorded, audio recorded or written down somewhere, we do this with dreams too. I have a journal I keep dreams in because dreams are super profound way of God speaks prophetically to us. But anyhow, when we receive a word, we record it and then if you know it's a word from God and it bears witness with your spirit, then you can go back and war with that word. What do I mean? Years ago, let's say in the mid uh, late 90s, I received a prophetic word by a giant in the faith. He'd came, he came to our church and preached, and he gave me this prophetic word, and it was recorded on an old cassette tape. And I kept that cassette tape with me for years. And he prophesied about my ministry and what would happen. And uh, there were many years I thought about that prophetic word, and I thought, Lord, that thing hasn't come to pass. It hasn't come to pass. But I knew the man was a man of God. I mean, he had 20 visits to heaven, preached in 82 countries of the world, two earned doctoral degrees. I mean, the guy was just Holy Ghost to the bone. I knew he was a man of God. So I said, I know this is real. So I went back, and I would get encouraged every few years, and I'd go back and listen to that word. Now I am living in the fulfillment of that prophetic word. I've seen it fulfilled. I've seen it fulfilled in my lifetime. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But you go war with it when you get in those difficult moments. You war with it when you get in those moments of, oh man, is God really moving? Is anything really happening? So prophetic ministry is powerful, is huge, is the real deal. And Anna was a prophetess. So she was known, evidently, on the Temple Mount, in Jerusalem, in Israel maybe, as a holy woman of God who moved in prophetic word. Some believe that she may have been the one who gave the priest Simeon the word that he would not die until he saw the Christ. Because what happens in this story is Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple at eight years of age. According to Jewish law, all boys had to be brought to the temple at eight years of age, and the priest would uh, circumcise them at eight years of age, dedicating them to the Lord. And so they brought Jesus to the temple, and when Simeon, he was a priest, but he had had this word spoken to him, either by direct revelation of the Spirit or by a prophetic word, and he knew that he was going to see the Lord's Christ before he died. And so the Bible says he was led of the Holy Spirit to the temple that day. It sounds like from the text to me that it wasn't even his time for service. But he's just at home like, i got to get to the temple. He felt the Spirit moving him. And so he shows up at the temple and he sees the baby Jesus. And he's like, oh, this is it. This has is, this is now come to pass in my life. This is what the Lord has been telling me. I was going to see the Lord, the Christ, before I would go to heaven. And as he's there declaring this and having this encounter, Anna, the prophetess, just happens to walk by. And she sees this, 
and she identifies and witnesses with everything that's going on, and then she recognizes this is the true Messiah, this young baby. So she was a prophetess. She was also an intercessor. You know, the, the, the spiritual gift of intercession is never mentioned in the Bible. But the word intercessor or intercession is mentioned in the Bible. But I do believe from just history and natural living in the kingdom that there are all of us are to intercede. All of us are to pray. But there are some with just that special touch from heaven that they can just live in that mode of intercession and it becomes their gifted area. Amen? And obviously Anna was this, living for 84 years, praying and fasting. Praying and fasting and living like that, dedicated to the Lord. I think in the Old Testament of intercessors, number one, I think of Abraham. Abraham was an intercessor who stood between God and his nephew, who he was concerned about, down in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And even though he didn't prevent the Lord from destroying those cities because of sin, he did see his nephew saved. And that's what he went before the Lord for. Or I think about the life of Moses and how many times Moses went before the Lord and interceded for the children of Israel. Because the Israelites were rebellious so often and, and Moses would go and lay before the Lord and basically offer himself as an intercessor for the children of Israel. I think even about Samuel, the prophet Samuel, that when Saul was disobeying the Lord, the Bible says in one point that Samuel went before the Lord and wept all night. He went before the Lord and wept and cried all night evidently interceding for Saul or at least the nation of Israel. I think about the New Testament. Peter himself, the apostle Peter, who was arrested, put in prison, and then the church started interceding for Peter. And as they were praying, an angel came, unlocked the doors, unshackled Peter, woke him up, and he was able to go out free, all because of intercession. Anna was an intercessor. Hallelujah. All of us are called to intercede. Some of you are really gifted in that area. And here's all I have to say to you. You are the heartbeat of the church. The intercessors are the heartbeat of the church. The Catholic Church has had this understanding for centuries that the monastic communities, the monks and the nuns are the heartbeat of the church because they pray. 24 7 365 I, I like that because intercessors are really the heartbeat of the church amen because I'm telling you the great men and women of God throughout history who saw great moves of God did it on the shoulders of people who were intercessors think about some of the great evangelists who would send intercessors into a city beforehand just to pray that a move of God would happen and it would happen almost every revival every revival I can think of in history that I've studied all began through intercession and prayer began in prayer meetings, began in homes, began in church prayer meetings, people dedicated to the Lord. I remember the story of uh, Brownsville, Brownsville Assembly of God that saw that great revival back in the 90s with I think 300,000 people were saved in those meetings. The pastor, John Kilpatrick, said he would go to church every Saturday night just by himself and just walk and pray. And, and he said as he, he was kept doing that, and then one night he walked in the sanctuary and ran into an angel. 
And God visited that church on a Father's Day that was just absolutely amazing and sent great revival. It started through intercessory prayer. It started in intercession. Why? Because the lines have to be cleared to intercede. You can't come before the Lord with a whole bunch of wickedness in your heart. You can't come before the Lord with a bunch of unforgiveness and hatred against people and backbiting and gossip. If you want to be a pure intercessor, you've got to get that stuff out. I think it's why God loves the heart of intercessors. They come before the Lord. They want to be clean before the Lord. They want to be like Anna, praying. Maybe she was praying, bring the Messiah, Lord. God, deliver us from the Romans. God, fulfill your prophetic word from the Old Testament. God, do these things. Maybe she was praying that. Maybe for years, for decades, calling on the Lord, reminding Him of His prophetic words. And then, lo and behold, wonder of wonders, one day she sees it fulfilled. Hallelujah. And when she sees the baby Jesus, the Bible says, then she went out. And told everyone who was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she was a prophetess and she was an intercessor. But ultimately she was a witness. And I think this is why Luke has included her in the story. Because there was a principle in the Old Testament. That every word should be established by two or three witnesses. That in a court trial you had to have at least two witnesses for many of the crimes in the Old Testament. And so here, what I, th what I think Luke is doing is he's showing two revered, holy people who lived in the service of the temple, one being Simeon the priest, two being Anna the prophetess, that both of those people testified that this was the Christ. This was the Messiah. They gave testimony to it. Now what's cool is that all of us can intercede all, but, but, but there are some just gifted in that area of intercession. All of us can prophesy as the Spirit wills, but not all of us are prophets. But you know what? Every one of us can witness. We might not all be evangelists, but we can all witness. Every one of us, each one of us can witness. Matter of fact, we're called to be witnesses. Jesus told his disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Now go be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Go be witnesses. Go to Jerusalem, wait until you be endued with power from on high, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Why did the power of God come in Acts chapter 2? So they could be witnesses unto him. Let me tell you what a witness is. Let me tell you what a witness is. A witness simply shares all that they hear, see, and experience the Lord has done. A witness just simply shares all that they see, hear, and experience that the Lord has done. And then the witness depends upon the Lord to come and make the heart change. A witness knows I'm not responsible for the supernatural heart change in a person's life. God has to do that. All I'm responsible for is to give my witness. And the cool thing is, you don't have to be a pastor to witness. You don't have to be an evangelist to witness. You don't have to have a degree in apologetics to witness. All you have to have is something that God has done in your life, and you can go tell that and be a witness. 
What is a witness in a court trial? A witness in a court trial is one who has seen and has a knowledge of whatever the situation is that's involved with the trial. You can even be a character witness. I've been called as a pastor as character witness. I just stand up and witness to what I have seen, heard, and experienced in this certain individual's life. It's like being a reference. I was a reference for someone this week. Just giving testimony to what I witnessed in that person's life in the time frame that I knew them. Hallelujah. How many of you could be bold enough and raise your hand and say, God has done something in my life? Okay, guess what? You're a witness. You just raise, come on, raise your right hand. God has done something in my life. Look at your neighbor and say, therefore, you are a witness, my friend. God has done something in your life. You have the power and authority to go witness. Jesus called his disciples and he said, come and I'll make you fishers of men. Not sinners in a church. I come to make you fishers of men. I come, I've come to let you follow me and my example that you might go be a witness to people. Get that love in your heart for lost people. Get that good news stirred up in you to where you have to go tell somebody about how good God has been to you. Hallelujah. 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 I love it when somebody comes up and says, Pastor Hans, man, I just ate at this new restaurant. You have to go there. It's amazing. You need to get this dish, and I know the waiters, and I, go there. They're telling what they have witnessed, what they've tasted and heard and seen and experienced, and now they have to go tell somebody about it. If you've been in this church for any amount of time, you've heard my testimony over and over and over. And guess what? If you hang around any longer, you're going to hear it many more times too. Why? Because God did something in my life when I was 16. He saved me. He spoke to me while I was in a hospital room on a hospital bed, and He radically changed my life. That's my testimony. I'm sticking to it, and I'm telling it for the rest of my life. Amen? Why? Because God did something amazing in me. And if I'm trying to talk to somebody and they won't receive my doctrine or they don't receive my religious philosophy, I just share my testimony. They can't say anything about my testimony. Maybe they think it's crazy, but you know what? It happened to me, not you. Hallelujah. People come up and tell me, I've seen an angel. I said, praise the Lord. Who am I to say you didn't see an angel? I believe you. It's your experience. I had a vision of heaven. Praise God, man. As long as it's in line with Scripture, I, I mean, I have no problem. It's your testimony. Tell your testimony. Give a witness. Just tell what God has done. You don't have to know the four spiritual laws or the hand analogy from evangelism explosion or go through though, though thing, those things are good. You don't have to move in prophetic gifts and words of knowledge, though those things are amazing. You can just share your witness and your testimony. So, as I got to know Dana, we would go places, and I remember we went to a coffee shop in Norfolk one day, and we walked out, and there was a young man diagonally across the way on the street waiting for a bus or a ride as we were to walk this way, 
and he had some kind of physical problem. And Dana's like, Hans. I'm like, what? <laughs> Do you think we should go pray for him? What am I going to say? I'm the pastor. <laughs> so, yes, I think we should pray for him. So we turned around, walked across the street, and prayed for that guy. And he was really blessed, wasn't he? He was super blessed to just receive prayer. Amen? So Danny comes home. I think it was yesterday. She says, I was at Food Lion. And I just had to pray for this lady. She was in a wheelchair or a motorized something. And I just asked her for prayer. She said, yes, I love prayer. So she prayed for her. I'm going to tell all kinds of stuff on you, Dana. Is that all right? They can edit it out for national TV. But then she said, I went to another store. And this lady's just talking about the goodness of Jesus. And I just got to preaching to her. And we just were preaching to each other. And she said, where do you go to church? Dana said, Fountain of Life. She said, oh, that's a big church, isn't it? Dana says, well, yeah, but it's amazing. And me and my husband, we're really involved there. Because <laughs> she was trying just not to make it about church, make it about Jesus. But I, we've been known to be heavily involved in this church, praise the Lord. <laughs> but that's the joy of it. It's the joy of just going and sharing the love and that, the joy you have in your heart. Come on, somebody shout witness. Come on, pound your chest. I am a witness. I am a witness. I am a witness. You are a witness to the goodness of God. Let me tell you a story, and we're going to pray here, and we're going to release you guys as witnesses. Right? No stingy tippers. No hateful shoppers at Walmart. You're going to go with joy because you might have to witness the gospel at any moment. Bill Bright is one of the greatest Christian leaders I think America's ever seen. He's now with the Lord. He was uh, a businessman in Hollywood, California, and he started attending a Presbyterian church and, and was influenced by the teaching of Dr. Henrietta Mears. And as he got under her teaching, he really got on fire for Jesus. And he said, so I just immediately went to Princeton University, then went to... Uh, he went to a theological seminary after that, and he decided, I just wanted to know all I could know. But he said, I felt I was a terrible witness. I just didn't feel I was any good at it. I couldn't really you know, witness to people and express my faith, so I just started studying it, and I gave myself to it. And here's what happened to him. He became one of the greatest witnesses this world has ever seen. He formed an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. And that organization was planted on campuses and colleges all across America as a university student. I went to one of their Bible studies with some guys. Just great. He wrote the four spiritual laws, which are four steps to receiving Christ as your Savior, printed it in a little book, and as of probably over a decade ago, there were a billion of those in print. So... Literally, billion-plus people could have been touched by that tract he wrote. Then he thought, how can we get the gospel and the simple message of Jesus? He said all the books he wrote, he wrote within an 800-word vocabulary limit because he wanted it to be simple. And he said, how can we get the gospel to the most remote people in the world? So they developed the Jesus film. 
which was a movie about the life of Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection. And they put it in various languages of the world. And they would take it up the tributaries of the Amazon to tribes to the Pacific Islands to the far, and just show the Jesus film and how many millions were impacted by the Jesus film. Okay, why am I telling this? Because this is all produced out of a life of a guy who said he was no good at witnessing. So I just shot down that argument for you, that excuse for you. Several years ago, I had the great privilege of working with the 700 Club for a, for a short period of time as a university student. And uh, they put me to, to going in, to the airport and picking up guests for this big meeting Pat Robertson had. He had a big tent meeting, and he, and he also was going to go to Fort Story in Virginia Beach and dedicate a memorial and a cross in honor of Reverend Hunt who had come to America on the Jamestown expedition and put a cross in the sand at Virginia Beach and declared from these shores the gospel shall go to the nations. And so we had a big celebration that day. Well, they invited Dr. Bill Bright to be one of the honored guests that day. They told me to go pick him up at the airport. So the evening before, I went to pick him up and he didn't get off the plane. And I thought, oh no. I'm in trouble. Come to find out, he had been delayed, and he didn't land until midnight. So, I, so at midnight, and he was up in age at this time, but at midnight, here he comes through the airport with an assistant, a young guy with him, and he was sick. He had some type of flu symptoms going on, and he had just arrived from Russia, flown Lord knows how many hours, not feeling well, from Russia at midnight. I picked him up and put him in the back of the van. I got in the driver's seat, pulled out from the Norfolk airport, got onto the interstate, and no sooner had I gotten onto the interstate, he said, Hans, would you tell me how you were born again? I said, Dr. Bright, yeah, I, this is how I came to know the Lord. And I told him my story. Then he said, Hans, are all the members of your family saved? And I said, no, sir, they're not. And he said, it's really easy. If you just go share a simple gospel presentation, almost always they'll accept. Okay, out of all the Christian stars I met that week, and all the, I met some, some of the greatest ministers in the world and most famous in the world that week, he impressed me the most. Because that man went after my soul as soon as he got in a van. In such a loving and kind way, that man went after my soul. And have you ever met, I've met a few of these people in my life that I thought, that's who I want to be like, Lord. I want to be like that. I met a few of those people in my life. This is who I'd like to be like. He was one of them. Such a loving and humble way, but you know he was a brilliant man and had been a business, I mean, just Ivy League educated, all that, but went at so, so, some, so I think about my life. How many times have we not shared 
our witness with people because we were afraid of what they would say or how they would react or if we would look stupid or we would be embarrassed. But what if, as our friend Doug Eccles says, what if they thank you that you cared enough to share your testimony with them? Remember, Doug does that little thing with us sometimes. He's like, now tonight, here's how we're going to give an altar call. You're going to go ask someone, if you were to die tonight, are you ready to go to heaven? Doug said, don't worry about it. If, if, if they're saved, fine. They'll be happy you ask. If they're not, maybe you're going to help them get saved tonight and rescue their soul. Either way, you win. Either way, you win. If you go share the love of Jesus with somebody who's rude to you, guess what? You sowed a seed of kindness into their heart. Yes. If you, sowed a seed, if, if you shared out of your, the love of your heart the, the gospel and your story to somebody who's an absolute jerk, which I have done, You still have sown kindness and love into their hearts. I, one more story. I'm full of stories. When I was first preaching, one of the one of the earlier sermons I'd ever preached. Now this is this relates to witnessing, but it was in a church context. But the same kind of feeling happened to me. Um. I had played just with, with some friends of mine in, in rock bands that we just kind of played in garages and loved rock and roll music and especially heavy metal music. I got saved and, and really came out of that. Got radically on fire for Jesus, started preaching in my home church. And one night I was scheduled to preach, I saw my old bass player walk in. And I thought, oh, Lord, why'd this man have to come? <laughs> God, he knows me. And he sat there, and all through the sermon, he listened to me intently. And at the end, I'm like, here, here we go, Lord. I'm going to jump off the high dive right now. I'm like, if you're not right with God and you'd like prayer, I want you to come to the altar right now. He stood up. And was the only person who responded to the altar call. And his grandma was with him. And prayed him through to the Lord. And he gave his heart to the Lord. When I was pastoring in Washington, D.C., many years later, I received a message online from him. And I was shocked because I hadn't heard from him in, uh, this is nearing decades. And he said, hey, hope it's going well with you, Hans. I've been working as a Methodist youth pastor. I've been working as a Methodist youth pastor ministering to kids. I thought, thank you, Jesus, that I was bold that day and had to swallow all that fear and just went ahead and gave an awkward altar call. And this old boy got it right. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Come on, when you step out on faith, God's going to bless you. When you share the word, God's going to bless you. There should be so much joy packed in your little frame that you're about ready to explode once somebody just gives you the right word. It's like, bam, let me tell you what happened to me.
Like John Osteen. He said years ago, he was a Baptist preacher. He got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and he read in the Bible where he could lay hands on the sick. And then he read where he could anoint people with oil. So he said, I got oil and carried with me everywhere I went. I'd go visit somebody, and they'd say, Brother Osteen, I've had a little headache. Can I anoint you right now and pray for you? Just waiting on that moment. That's the way we should be with the good news. We're cocked, loaded, ready, bullet in the chamber. Hallelujah. Ready to fire at any given minute when somebody needs something. That's the, that's the, that's the neon sign for you to be like, bingo, we've got a winner on aisle two. Hallelujah. That's the one I'm going to witness to. That's the one I'm going to share the love of Jesus with. Come on, everybody stand with me. Come on, shout it. Anna was a witness, and I'm a witness in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the Anna's life that we get to read about in Scripture and learn from. We thank you, Lord, for Christmas season that you've come and that you've given us the greatest news of all. And now, Lord, I pray that it becomes infectious in our lives. That joy, that desire to, to witness, that desire to, to touch people's lives, that desire to pray for people, bless people. I just pray, Lord, that becomes infectious in the most positive way in our lives in the name of Jesus. Lord, I even ask right now that you share with each one in here people. Let people come to their minds right now that need to hear the good news. And Lord, I pray they get on fire to call them, visit them, email, text them, invite them to church, invite them to the Christmas program. Do pray for them. Something, Lord, I pray, nudges us on in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, everybody say nudge. It's a word Leonard Sweet. He wrote a book on evangelism. That's what he called it. I think that's the title of it, nudge. And I love it. Just nudging someone on to good things in Jesus, to a relationship with the Lord. I'm just going to, I'm going to be here and give you a little push and help you into the things of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you could raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to be a better witness? I want to be a better witness. Come on, let's, Father, in Jesus' name, all of those wanting to a, a better witnessing ability in their life, I just pray you break down the walls of fear. Set them on fire right now for it, Lord. Set them on fire for it in the name of Jesus. Light them up, Lord. Light them up in the name of Jesus. Light them up in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I want the altar workers to join me at the altar right now if they would. And while they're coming, I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Is there one person in here this morning who could raise your hand? Just between me, you, and the Lord. Could raise your hand and say, Pastor Hans, I don't have a relationship with the Lord like I need to. I'm not following Him like you talked about this morning. But I want to. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. If that's you, let me see your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just between me, you, and the Lord. I want to follow the Lord. I want to invite Jesus into my heart to be the Lord of everything in my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Maybe there's others. Thank you. This is what I want. I, I want to know that I'm born again. I want to know that I'm saved. Hallelujah. Come on, let's all pray. Let's pray with those. If you raise your hand and, and, and you're believing God to do something in your life, 
this morning, come on, we're going to pray with you. All of us are going to raise our voices and pray with you. Come on, let's pray. Father, cleanse me of all sin. Lord, I turn away from sin and I walk away. And I walk toward you. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I receive that sacrifice and that gift. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Take the throne seat of my heart and be seated there. I surrender my life to you. I give you my heart. I give you everything. Thank you for the new life. Spirit of the living God, breathe in me. And I thank you that I'm born again. Thank you that my sins are forgiven. And thank you that I have a new beginning in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracles, signs, and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.